seated. And turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 34 this morning. That's on page 763 of your church Bibles, if you're using one of those. Uh, Matthew 8, uh, continuing uh, our series through Matthew's Gospel. We've just finished the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, last week we got into these, uh, what is, is really a series of, of ten miracles uh, in chapters 8 and 9. And so we'll, we'll be looking at the second half of chapter 8 this morning. Uh, and these, these next uh, kind of two miracles with this first part that's a, a bit of um, a setup, a bit of an interlude, I suppose. Uh, so Matthew 8, beginning in verses 18, and reading to the end of the chapter, verse 34. This is God's word. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And the scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tomb, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. Have you ever been in a a room where a a person uh, seems to, to command the attention and respect of everyone in it? Uh, perhaps you've been into an event with a, a member of the royal family or, or perhaps a great politician or even a well-known celebrity. And there's this, this confidence about that person. They, they just seem to have this ability to sort of hold everybody under their spell. I wish I had a good example of this for you this morning, a good British one anyway, but I, I suppose I've not lived in this country long enough. So I'm going to give you an American one. Uh, I was in the, the airport in Chicago early one morning a number of years ago when I noticed a lot of, of people gathering around this, this one person, a, a fellow passenger of ours. And that's because this particular passenger was a man named Mike Ditka. And that probably doesn't mean anything to any of you, uh, but the people listening to this recording in America know exactly who I'm talking about. He was an American uh, football coach, and he's a Chicago legend because he he led the Chicago Bears, their, their American football team, uh, to a, a Super Bowl championship back in the 1980s. 
Uh, he's the man that everyone uh, in, in Chicago would, would take notice of because what he's done, of, of what he's done as a coach. But he's also become a, a television personality. Uh, he also owns a very popular restaurant in the city. And so everyone was, was sort of gathering around him. And the amazing thing about this was all these people at, at this gate at the airport in Chicago, we were about to climb into a metal tube with wings on it and fly at 30,000 feet and 500 miles per hour with this great man, Mike Ditka. You see, the reaction to Ditka was interesting. Some rather confident people were immediately drawn to him. They, they wanted to go up and talk to, to Ditka. They were attracted to him. Others of us were, were a little more sheepish, and we sort of went up and, and uh, shyly asked it for, for selfies, which, which he was very kind to give. And then you had another group that, that really didn't seem to care, or they were trying to be polite and, and, not, and not bother him, so they, they just sort of stayed away uh, and didn't want to go and see Mike, Mike Ditka. Now what we begin to see this morning is, as we look at our, our passage, our, our pe how people react to Jesus in different ways. And also we see in, 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 this, uh, in, in Jesus this morning, not just his ability to, to command a whole room, but actually to, to command all of creation. We see him calming a storm and casting out demons, doing incredible things. But the heart of these verses before us this morning is, is really that to follow Jesus we have to be willing to let him meddle in our lives. We have to be willing to, to hand over to him all the, all the things that we identify ourselves with. The things that we, we think make us who we are. The things that we, we are depending upon. We have to, to hand these over to him and allow him to remake us. And that's what we need to see this morning. We, and we see it actually in, in just two broad points. Uh, first, the first point is lessons in what it means to be a disciple. And then secondly, lessons in who Jesus is. So first let's look at, at, at these lessons in what it means to be a disciple. You'll remember last week that Jesus has come down from, from the mountain where he preached uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where he was, was teaching. And he begins to heal those who were sick, which is incredible, an, an incredible sign of his authority. Now Matthew tells us in verse 18 that, that he's grown in popularity. That people are coming to him so, so, uh, uh, to, to, to see him, to hear him. Uh, they're drawn to him. He's, he's commanding the room, isn't he? So what does Jesus do? Well, he makes plans to withdraw. That's the first thing Matthew tells us, isn't it? Why does he do that, do you think? Why would he, when his popul popularity is, is, is growing, why would he want to get away from all of that and withdraw. It's hard to know exactly, but I, I think it's because of what we see in, in these next verses, that, that the ministry of Jesus isn't only great teaching, and it isn't only meeting the physical needs of those around him, but, but the heart of Jesus' ministry is actually to refine and grow those closest to him. It's him making and growing his disciples that's what we hear him call the church to, isn't it, in, in the very end of Matthew's gospel in Matthew 28. And in this we begin to see what, what it is to be a proper church of Christ Jesus. If we're going to be a proper church, we can't only be good at teaching the word of God. And we can't only be good at, at caring for the physical needs of others, looking after the poor and, and, and helping other people. We have to actually... If we're going to be a proper church, we have to actually take seriously 
raising up and growing each other as followers of Jesus. Most churches focus on one or the other, the, either the, the teaching or the caring. But Jesus shows us we, we have to do both and take seriously our personal growth and grace. And we see that in, in the three pictures of discipleship before us here. First, uh, we meet this scribe. And a scribe was a, a highly educated teacher of God's word. This person would have uh, been a very important person in, in Jewish society. I think when we look at verse 19, then we can see that, that he knows that he knows that about himself, doesn't he? He knows he's an important person. And it's sort of implied in what he says to Jesus. He says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And on the surface, it appears to be an offer of surrender, of being resolute in a decision to, to follow Jesus. But let's dig deeper for a moment into what this man actually says. He calls Jesus teacher. Not Lord or master, but, but teacher. And this is actually a, a distinction with a very big difference. In Jesus' day, there were a lot of teachers. Often you would follow one of these, the, these teachers to, to raise your own profile. To grow your own teaching ministry. And this, this scribe coming to Jesus and calling him teacher suggests that he's, he's looking at Jesus primarily as just another teacher. And it suggests that he's coming to Jesus looking for something very specific. He doesn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. He doesn't recognize him as his Savior. Rather, he looks at the the work of Jesus as nothing more than that of any other teacher. It's like the the miracle healings everyone has, has just seen never happened. Perhaps all they did for the scribe was to, to cause them to see that, that Jesus was going to, to grow in popularity. He was going to gain even more influence. And he wanted in on the action. You see, the scribe wasn't looking for someone to surrender his life to. He was looking for a leg up in his own, in his own career. In fact, when you really listen to how this man approaches Jesus, it can sound pretty arrogant. Jesus, he, he's really saying, Jesus, you're, you're a great teacher. I'm, I'm a teacher too. And it's your lucky day because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you wherever you go. I'm going to help you out. And see, the truth is that this is how many of us approach Christ, isn't it? Whether we're looking for uh, a good teacher to listen to or, or a person who gives us the uh, hope of healing or, or someone who inspires us to good deeds, most of us come to Jesus with, with our own agenda. We're willing to, to follow him wherever he goes as long as he as long as he continues to offer the thing that we want from him. And Jesus has an answer for this man, doesn't he? But not the answer he was expecting. He tells him that that actually the cost of following him is is much higher than he thinks. He says that that you can look at the fox or the birds of the air and and they have what we can call earthly security, don't they? That's even true in London, isn't it? Like even a a fox in London can, can find a bin to eat out of. Just the other day, uh, on, the, on the street right behind us here, uh, I saw a pigeon uh, eating the remains of, of a McFlurry, which reminded me that even vermin can enjoy God's good gifts, can't they? Like there's earthly security for these creatures. But Jesus says the, the people who follow him, they don't always have these, these earthly securities guaranteed to them. He certainly didn't. He tells the scribe that, that you may think you're, you're signing up to the, the next great name among the teachers of Israel, but actually you're signing up for suffering and hardship. He takes this person who appears to be an eager follower 
and he turns him away, doesn't he? Which is interesting when you consider the next person who, who Jesus interacts with. The next person he interacts with is, is a, a disciple. Look back at, at verses 21 and 22. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Uh, with the scribe, we see Jesus pushing away uh, the really eager follower. But with this, this disciple who wants to go and bury his dead father, we hear Jesus pulling him in and, and encouraging him along. This, this person who was rather reluctant. It seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? But I think actually what, what we see in, the, in, in this person is, is actually proper humility and submission. Matthew identifies this person as a disciple. So, so it's implied that, that uh, this is a person who is already following Jesus. And we hear him addressing Jesus uh, humbly, don't we? Jesus is his Lord. It's a, a term of total respect of recognition of Jesus' authority. And he makes a simple request, doesn't he? He just wants to, to first go and bury his father. And this would have been a request out of a desire to fulfill uh, his obligation under the law, to honor his father and mother. See, all appearances are that this was a reasonable request. It's one that, we, we all, uh, that all of us have either or will make of our employer at some point. Uh, when someone close to us dies. So then why does Jesus deny it? Shouldn't Jesus have compassion for this man who has just lost his father? Shouldn't Jesus be encouraging this man to, to go and, and, and be obedient to God's law and give his father a proper burial and to comfort his, mo his mother if she's still living? Why does Jesus say to this man what he says? and command this man to, to follow him first and foremost? Well, the answer is actually found in, in this simple word, first. Did you notice the, the request of this disciple first? This disciple who, who we can assume has been following Jesus for a little while now doesn't ask for a little time off. Rather, he, he suggests that his first responsibility, that his first love, isn't Jesus that his first love is, is his dead father. And this may seem subtle and like we're, we're splitting hairs, but Jesus doesn't appear to think so. He tells his disciple that if he's truly going to follow him, then all other priorities must come sec become secondary to his calling to follow Christ, even the responsibility to his parents. And that's a challenging one for us, isn't it? Most of us look at religion or faith as one of those things that sort of uh, fits itself into and around all these other activities that we have going on. Our work, our family, our, our fun, all these things that, uh, in life. Maybe we feel like faith helps us to, to keep life in, in perspective. But the question for us this morning, the question that Jesus has for us, is does your faith in, in Christ does your following him, does, does that keep all of these other things in this perspective? The one that Jesus presents us with this morning. That all of that's window dressing. It's all secondary to the calling of following Jesus. Are you willing to lay aside earthly security? Are you willing to lay aside your earthly priorities and follow Jesus wherever he wants to lead you?
That's the second picture. The third picture of discipleship is, is one of, of collective fear, isn't it? Jesus gets into this boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. And while he's on the, the sea, a violent storm overtakes the boat and it begins to be swamped and, and, uh, and in danger of, of sinking. It's a, it's a scary thing, isn't it? Most of the guys in the boat probably could not swim. And while it's happening, where's Jesus? He's, he's sleeping, isn't he? He's sound asleep. Now, this wouldn't have been a massive boat. It wouldn't have been uh, easy for Jesus to have ignored what was going on around him. But there he is sleeping while the storm's raging and his disciples are in a panic. And so they wake him up and they beg him to save them. What does, what does Jesus say? Look at verse 26. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? They wake him up in this emergency, this moment of, of tremendous danger and fear. They're fearing for their lives, and Jesus rebukes them. Why are you scared of the storm? Don't you have any faith at all? And then what's he do? He, he rebukes the storm, and he calms the sea. We'll talk about the significance of that in, in the next point, but, but let's talk about what all this means for discipleship. Matthew's reminding us here that even disciples need saving from time to time, don't they? That we need regular reminders that our, our Lord and Master is in control of everything. All the things that cause us fear and worry. All the things that burden us. All the things that, that, that weigh on us. Jesus is in, is in control of all those things. We fear and we worry because our faith is smaller than we think. And Jesus rebukes his disciples here for that, doesn't he? But he also shows them incredible grace and comfort at the same time. He, he, he never rebukes without comfort. He calms the storm in the sea. And he calms the, the storm in their own hearts. That's the beauty of the one we lay our lives down to follow. That's the wonder of being willing to set aside everything to follow Jesus. It doesn't, it doesn't feel safe. But Jesus says we're safer with him than with all the security the world has to offer. So let me ask you, what, what makes you anxious? What makes you worried? We all have those things, don't we? Including your minister. We have things that we, we fear, don't we? But Jesus calls us to, to this incredible supernatural rest in him. Uh, Dale Bruner says of, of these verses, uh, one can, can learn from the story if one follows it to logic that in danger disciples should sometimes simply walk into their room, lie down, and go to sleep. At times perhaps sleep with confidence pleases Jesus more than prayer with fear. It's a challenging way of looking at it, isn't it? Sometimes just curling up and falling asleep Trusting Jesus to protect us is better than, than our, all of our anxious fears, all of our anxious prayers. So three pictures of discipleship, none particularly flattering for the disciples, but all should challenge us to, to consider why and how we follow Jesus. And our second point this morning, Matthew reminds us the reasons why we should follow Jesus. He gives us really good reasons, doesn't he, why we should follow Jesus. He presents us with two compelling reasons here in our lessons and who Jesus is. So I know it's a bit of an awkward place to divide these points, so forgive me, but uh, 
I think it's, it's really important that we focus in on who Jesus reveals himself to be in this, this calming of the storm. There's two aspects of Jesus' power and authority that we see here. We, he, he is a, the one who, who commands both the natural world, but then he's also the one who, who controls the supernatural world, isn't he? And Matthew uh, points us to that. Matthew isn't the only one who, who wants us to see that, that fact. Uh, Mark and Luke also put these two stories together, the, the calming of the storm and the, the casting out of these demons. And so what we see and learn here is not only that, that Jesus has power and authority over both the natural and supernatural world, but more importantly that, that, that he is the only one who can calm the chaos both of nature as well as the minds and hearts of humanity. Jesus is the only one who can calm all the chaos, the chaos around us and the chaos in us. And we see this first as we, we wrap up the previous scene on the, the Sea of Galilee. The disciples come to Jesus in a panic. He rebukes them. He rebukes the sea, and the sea's calm. And then verse 27 gives us the, the questions on the, the minds of the disciples in the boat with Jesus. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? And the question is left hanging in the air because we all know the answer already, don't we? We all know the answer to that question. Even if you don't want to believe it, you know the answer. What sort of man can, can command obedience even from the winds and the sea? Well, it can only be God himself, can't it? It strikes me that we get a, a lot of pretenders to the throne in Christian circles. We get a lot of people who will claim uh, miracles, and they'll claim that they healed people. And they'll claim that they have uh, uh, visions and, and a word from God. But what you never hear anyone trying to claim is this one. That they can control the weather. This is the one spiritual gift that we don't hear about anywhere else. Or from anyone else. Jesus is walking around like he owns the place, isn't he? You've heard that expression, someone walking around like they own the place. They make themselves at home. They order around the servants. In Jesus' case, he's ordering around the weather. Who does that? Well, God does. And so does Jesus. And so it shouldn't be a difficult connection for us to make, should it? Who is Jesus? He's, he's God incarnate. And then we see the, the second picture of Jesus' power and authority. Uh, in this next scene, they arrive on the other side of the sea, and we, we should immediately be struck by the location. This is clearly a pagan area, isn't it? It's not the, the kind of place you walk through after dark, right? Certainly not the kind of place that good Jewish people would go. Two things mark it out, demons and pigs, which are two things the Jews would have avoided. We're told in verse 28, the demons had taken possession of two men, and they were so fierce that it's so violent that, that no one could pass that way. Everyone avoided going past this particular place. Yet this is where we find Jesus. He's crossed a raging sea to get there. This is where we find Jesus. And I unfortunately don't feel I have the, the time to go into a long excursus now on, on demon possession this morning. We're running out of time. So forgive me. Um, you can ask me the question about it later if you like. Uh, but for our purposes, we're just going to assume this. We're going we're to take it for granted, as Matthew does, that these men were, were possessed by demons, by evil spirits. 
So Jesus arrives in, in this place that is, is notorious for being home to two violent, demon-possessed men. And they, they come out and confront him in verse 29. Listen to what they say. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? What I want to suggest to us this morning, what I hope we can all see and accept, is that the the cry of these demon-possessed men is the cry of every single person in this room. It is the the cry of every single secular heart, even in our, our own world today. Every heart that is in rebellion against God asks this question, what right have you got to come and meddle in my life, Jesus? It isn't judgment day yet. We don't want to think it, but but the truth is that the the cry of the demon-possessed men is the most lucid and honest cry we've heard this morning. Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. No, you won't, Jesus says. Jesus, I want to follow you. Just just let me deal with this, this really important thing I care about a little bit more first. Let the dead bury their own dead. Are you really going to sleep there while we die, Jesus? Do you have no actual security to offer us? See, it's all been selfish and half-hearted up until now, hasn't it? Now we get real honesty. We get bluntness. As an American, I like that. Honesty, bluntness. You have no right to meddle in our lives. We don't want you coming around here and troubling us. That's what we really believe if we're honest with ourselves, isn't it? See, there are things in our lives we just don't want Jesus to touch, aren't there? We've seen it in every one of the disciples so far. We don't want him to touch our careers, but we'll be happy to accept any help like the scribe. We don't want him to touch our families, but but we're happy for him to, to give us a bit of time off to go and look after them. We might think we, we want him to give us purpose and to wake into to wake up and sort of sort out our problems don't we when things go wrong but we don't want them to meddle too much in our lives and the problem is that jesus is the savior who came to touch everything in your life he's the one who who came to to meddle in your life and to, to ultimately give you rest and relief and salvation from all the things that trouble you and we see a picture of that salvation here, don't we? The, the demons in these men, these, these evil spirits, they convict themselves. They recognize Jesus' real authority. And they have no choice but to submit to it. They even recommend the course of action. Send us into the pigs. And we hear only a single word from Jesus, don't we? Go. Jesus just says, go. And these, these evil spirits are cast out and destroyed. And the thing about this scene and the thing about following Jesus is that that we don't really know what's good for us. We don't really know what's good for us. But at a single word from our Savior, the world can be made right. We've seen it on the sea and we've seen it now on the shore. When Jesus shows up, the full power of God comes with him because he is God incarnate. And all is made right with the word. And that's true again because Christ the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us and vanquished our sin and evil at the cross. And the question for you and I this morning is what's, what's holding you back from following him? What part of your life would you rather he not meddle in? Be honest about it and give it over to him this morning. Don't hesitate because we see here the, the power of Jesus and we see the hearts of humanity laid bare for us. Don't we? Matthew ends with a, what amounts to a, a warning in our last two verses this morning, 33 and 34. The village that's been plagued by these violent men hear, hear what happened to the men and seemingly, perhaps more importantly to them, what happened to the pigs. And so they, they go out and you would think they would be welcoming Jesus as a hero. You got rid of the, the unclean spirit and you got rid of the unclean animals. But they go out to Jesus and what do they do? They beg him to go away. They beg him to go and leave him alone. That's astonishing, isn't it? It's astonishing. We should, set, we should, we should see that for the, the tragedy that it is. And not be surprised when people react this way to Jesus today. We should be warned in our own hearts not to be hardened to Jesus. Yes, he may threaten your livelihood. Yes, he will certainly threaten your comfort and your relationships. But in this world of storms and threats, you'll find no greater security and comfort than being in the boat where Jesus is found. You'll find no greater hope and comfort than being on the shore where Jesus is confronting the evil of this world. You'll find no greater comfort in life or in death than being found in Christ alone. Let us pray.